Oh, well, Carol Ann's with us, a child of the 60s. Um, can I pick up that you're from the US, Carol Ann? Um, well, I lived in the US from 1968 through to 2002. I'm a New Zealander with a, an American citizenship. Oh, well, okay. So can you clarify, because people are really interested, uh, listeners from across the country are, are wondering if this is true or not. Sam in Colorado says that Americans don't use butter in sandwiches. Is he right? That is correct. Oh, that is totally correct. And the oh. first time I had a sandwich in the States, my my mother-in-law was horrified when I tried to put butter on the bread because it was Wonder Bread and it cannot take butter. What? <laughs> it just what do you mean can't apart. take it? Oh. <laughs> it? Does it just disintegrate? Wow. It, it disintegrates. And so you put mayonnaise. So my first sandwich, my first lunch in the USA was a bologna sandwich on Wonder Bread, which when you bite into it, stuck amongst your gums because the bread was so gummy. Oh, my dear Lord. Well, Caroline... I it's true. <laughs> Caroline, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and Robin says, Wallace, when I was in LA, 82, was at some place with a group of other Kiwis. We asked the waitress, could we have the butter? She burst out laughing. She said, you've poured it on your salad. We thought it was mayonnaise. The waitress explained that it was butter. Honestly, it was white in colour. Uh, the panel, RNZ National, thanks for joining us. We have Liam here and Zoe George. Well, a few minor parties, um, including Top Party, Freedoms NZ Party, among them argue that more should be done to involve the voting public in the political decision-making process, highlighted in a stuff piece by Federico Magrin. It's called Direct Democracy. Now, in a nutshell, it's about putting big decisions directly to the people, mainly through binding referenda. We've had referenda in the past on occasion. In 97, for example, there was a referendum on whether New Zealand should have a compulsory retirement saving scheme. It was promoted by New Zealand First Winston Peters. The voting paper is simple. The question asks, do you support the proposed compulsory retirement saving scheme? A tick in the top box means yes, bottom box, no. So that was from 97. 91.8% of people voted against. With us, Max Rashbrook at the Institute of Governance and Policy Studies, Victoria University. Kia ora, Max. Kia ora, Wallace. What would be another example? I'm just thinking, would the flag referendum, would that be a another example of a referenda? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've had a number of uh, referenda in New Zealand history. Um, some of them, we have citizens-initiated uh, oh. referenda. Um, you know, and there was one on state asset sales um, in John Key's time in government. I mean, of course, and those aren't binding. Um, but then we've also had referenda like the flag referendum. We've had... Uh, referenda on the size of Parliament. Um, they're not they're not particularly common in New Zealand, but we have had a number of them. Are they often used then in other democratic countries, Max? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's sort of spotty practice around the world. I mean, obviously, the Brexit referendum in the UK oh, of um, in 2016 was was a, a famous example of that. Um, in America, they're used very widely at state level, where they're sometimes called propositions. Um, so a, a lot of decisions are made um, by referenda there. And 
One of the other examples is Switzerland, um, where it's pretty easy to uh, put up a referendum. I think you need 100,000 uh, uh, signatures to get it on the ballot, and the results of those are binding as well. So they can be quite widely used, although whether or not that's a good idea uh, is another question. Yeah, so before we go to the panel, just one more question. So uh, 10%, um, so in New Zealand... 345,000 people need to sign a petition before it is put to the public. So you've got a 10% threshold. Is there a case, do you think, for it to be lowered to, say, I don't know, 5%? I I wouldn't say so because I'm not personally a huge fan of referenda. Uh, I'm a big fan of getting the public more involved in decision-making. But I think that needs to happen in forums where... People got a chance to discuss the issues with each other and hear evidence and listen to experts and actually reflect uh, on things. I mean, there's no point constructing a process whereby people can put into it, input into it, but that input is of incredibly low quality. So referenda per se, I'm not a big fan of. Zoe? Yeah, I found this really fascinating. You know, the last election we had referendum around euthanasia and mm. cannabis reform, and that was fascinating in itself mm. um, but yeah this this whole idea of d- direct democracy I'm all for people engaging in the democratic process um, and politics but also we vote on MPs to make decisions for us and I'm super busy so uh, <laughs> uh, that's why I vote for them to make decisions for me but I guess Max um, is this a good idea is it a, if not why not well, obviously we've got Brexit and that's a prime example of why it doesn't work, but are there any other prime examples of how this doesn't work? Well, I think the classic one which you get in American states is where people can vote for a referendum one year saying, oh, we want to massively increase spending on something. And then the next, you know, next election, they can vote for a referendum uh, and say, well, we massively want to cut taxes, uh, you know, so they could just be completely incoherent. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm much a bigger ban of things like citizens assemblies or participatory budgeting, you know, where people actually have to come together and discuss things uh, as citizens rather than just, you know, ticking a box when there's no guarantee that they really know what they're ticking a box about. Liam? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of like Max, I guess. I mean, I, I believe that we should have referenda um, for constitutional issues only. So, you know, when politicians are looking to change the rules of politics, there should be a check on that. But Max, I thought what might be interesting is if you could maybe give a bit of an explanation on the difference between that type of referendum and what we frequently see in states like California and the US, where things the things that are being voted on aren't the big picture. They're, they're quite granular. You know, they're, they're, they're very specific funding um, uh, appropriations and decisions where, you know, the type of thing where actually it's just impossible for the for the mass of the people to make an informed decision on something like that. And the issues that that can create for good government. So, any any thoughts on on the difference or the distinction between those types of things? Uh, no. I mean, I just I just come back to that fundamental problem for me with referenda, which is that you know when someone goes into the ballot, uh, you know, it, it goes into the, the booth, the voting booth, you know, you, you don't know if they've thought about the issue at all, and you don't know if they've got a considered opinion on it, you don't know if they've listened to anybody else, you don't know if they've reflected or engaged with the evidence. And so, you know, it's just hard to see that as a useful addition to our democratic system, you know, on for me, on any level. Uh, except for you, right? Not, 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 not even for the big picture. 
Well, definitely for constitutional issues. You're absolutely right, because you shouldn't have politicians setting the rules of the game that they're going to play by, you know, to the extent you can avoid it. But beyond that, I'm not, not enthusiastic about them. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm with you. Coming back to what Zoe is saying about the fact that, you know, we have elective MPs f- to make the right decisions because, uh, as Zoe said, look, we don't have the time or energy to spend researching an idea, perhaps. Is is much of this an advocacy towards, you know, some of the uh, perhaps the minor parties uh, and others, it, it, does it reflect a particular distrust in the political process right now, do you think, Max? Um, I, I think it does, but then you sort of have to look at that distrust and say, is it justified or is it unjustified? And some parts of it are unjustified. You know, some of that distrust is based on conspiracy theories, and obviously we shouldn't, you know, bow to that. But some of it, I think, is justified. And, you know, the energy behind these other forms of democracy goes way beyond, you know, some current fringe parties in New Zealand. I think it stems from a, a sense that, you know, a lot of sort of representative parliamentary <laughs> politics doesn't work very well. It's not doing a great job of solving some of the big problems we face, like climate change. And yes, yes, you know, there were a lot of us are busy and yes, you know, we elect politicians to do some things. But actually, if the evidence is that if you create spaces for citizens to get engaged in things that are meaningful, you know, and that are actually going to make change and we actually get to discuss things with other people, people will turn up those things. They will make time in their lives if they think it's going to be meaningful. Because you say you, you, uh, uh, p- people are participating directly in decision making, but it's not what political scientists would call, in your word, deliberative. Oh, no, I mean, I think it can be deliberative. So, you know, the idea of the Citizens Assembly, you get a hundred sort of people who are representative oh, yeah. of the city or the country together and you give them <laughs> a number of weekends to discuss the issue. You know, I mean, that's an example. I mean, there's one running in Wellington City right now, and they got twice as many people saying, yes, I'd like to take part as they expected, because it, it sounds like a meaningful way to get engaged rather than, say, you know, tick box sort of consultation exercise. Well, I mean, of course, people don't do those because they know most of those consultation exercises are meaningless. Very good, Max. Thanks for being on the panel. Kia ora. Uh, that's Max Rashbrook there uh, from Victoria University on the notion of uh, having more... Uh, referenda, some people uh, wanted. Direct democracy, as uh, some call it. Thanks very much for your feedback this afternoon on all uh, topics. I really appreciate it. Uh, Zoe, George and Liam here joining me this afternoon. Well, to this, courts clogged by self-represented litigants, lawyers say. The number of people representing themselves in civil cases in the district court has grown enormously in the past decade prompting calls for better use of the disputes tribunal to relieve the pressure on the courts. Reports Crystal Gibbons from RNZ. More than 70% of civil cases in the district court involved a self-represented party, according to Ministry of Justice data. With us, Fraser Barton is the New Zealand Law Society <laughs> President. Fraser, kia ora. Kia ora. So that is a significant number of people self Representing, are you surprised by that? Is this what you are seeing? Yes, I am seeing it. I, I'm I'm surprised at the extent of it. That it's grown from about two percent ten years ago to seventy two percent now. So that is a significant change. Did you, did you say two percent ten years yes. ago? Yes. Good grief! Would I, I could imagine the flow-on effect? Would this slow the whole the whole court system down? Yes, it does. The uh, 
going to going to court in a civil case is reasonably complex. You've got to put papers together, and there's a whole lot of rules to comply with, and um, and it is quite complex. In fact, it takes lawyers some years to um, get the skills. So um, when you have someone who's not represented. Uh, the court has to do a whole lot more work, it slows it down, and indeed the lawyer on the other side ends up having to do quite a bit more work and it costs that party more as well. So it has a serious effect of clogging things up. Well, that's quite astonishing, from 2% to 70% in a decade with us. We happen to have a lawyer on the programme. Liam, let's bring you in. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, I hear all the same things. I'm a, I'm a commercial lawyer um, and I, you know, I don't spend, never go to court. But, of course, you know, we all talk and you, you hear it uh, quite a bit. Um, in terms of the, maybe it might be helpful you could explain just why a, self-politic, a self-represented person just uh, takes up so much more of the court's time in terms of, you know, the need for the for judges to bend over backwards to make sure they understand process and, you know, the fact that like things just can't be taken for granted with a self-litigant uh, in person um, as, as they can with an experienced lawyer. So it, it, may, it, may, it may be that listeners don't quite understand just how uh, much more painstaking it makes the process. It's like, uh, you know, someone who's trying to do um, surgery using Google, I guess. Frozen? Yes. Yes, yes, that's right. That's, I mean, to start a case, there are rules about a, a claim has to be put in a specific way. The next step, uh, and that's complicated, the next step is disclosure of all documents that are relevant, and that's electronic documents. And then you have intermediate steps, further particulars, strikeouts, further discovery. You then have to pr- prepare briefs of evidence. There are very strict rules about those. They mustn't contain irrelevant material or hearsay material. Then you've got cross-examination when you go to trial. You've got submissions on technical legal matters. It, it, I mean, everyone has a right to represent themselves. That's part of our system. But um, it is quite complex, mm. and it's, if someone doesn't understand that, at every step along the way, it slows it what right a pro- down. Yeah. Yeah. What a process, and, um, Zoe. And um, and it, oh, let's bring and, Zoe in. Let's bring Zoe in first. Yeah. Well, I want to know why this is happening. I know that lawyers are expensive. Uh, having proper representation is an expensive exercise, and right now we're in a you know crisis, cost of living crisis. Um, so why is this happening? Why is it shot up so much? Well, it's because the I mean, the rates of um, legal aid, civil legal aid, haven't gone up in a long, long time. And whereas the cost of practicing um, law have those costs have gone up. This is quite a highly specialised task in, in this area, and and if someone and so it's harder to get civil legal aid, and um, the uh, and, and a lawyer doing it, there's a very limited pool of people that are prepared to do that now because they're paid about a, a third of what they could get uh, with alternative clients. So it, there's no real incentive. People have been leaving that area. And, uh, and then the other thing is you're, you are, there is a group of people who um, are against the system and feel they can do this themselves, the likes of sovereign citizens, etc. So we've got this is just a growing trend on both these fronts at the moment. Uh, Liam? What are the barriers to um, increasing the sort of jurisdiction of the dispute tribunal to um, sort of pick up more of this? And, and is that a workable solution, at least yes. for part of the problem? Yes, that, that is a solution for part of the problem. And that um, is, at the moment, the jurisdiction is $30,000. And there are recommendations that that be increased. And that's, that will address part of the problem. 
I, 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 I'm helping someone at the moment where there was a case in the disputes tribunal, um, construction, um, clear breach of the contract, um, and the question of how the damages flowed. The referee looked at it, found a breach of contract, and set a damages figure. The, the other party didn't like the outcome, so they appeal. If that person had a lawyer, mm. the lawyer would have said, you, there are no grounds at all for an appeal in these circumstances. Instead, the case is now going grinding its way through the district court, and, and the outcome's obvious. But So that's what happens. You know, um, as I say, the system's quite complex, mm. and it is hard for amateurs to use. Yeah, it's wow. a great example because at the moment it really feels like there's a black hole. If a claim's worth between 30000 and 100000 it's mm. you can't go to the dispute tribunal, but it's not enough money to justify paying a lawyer. Mm. So there just seems to be this big yes. black hole for claims yes. you know, in a range mm. of $70,000. Yes, I, look, I, I agree completely. And and this is, a pro, this is about access to justice, where people then either abandon their rights or compromise their rights, and that's not a healthy thing. And um, you know, so we have this this big gap at the moment, and where it's uneconomic for um, someone to engage a lawyer, uh, so it is really problematic. Fraser, really great to have you on. I appreciate it, Kira. That's okay. Fra- no Fraser problem. Barton there, who is the president of the New Zealand Law Society. Gosh, that's uh, quite astonishing, isn't it? Uh, uh, going from two percent to seventy percent of our self representation in civil cases in just 10 years. Uh, finally on the program, oh, i just got to have more feedback about it. We've had so much feedback about one Liam Hare in Manawatu. He's a lawyer there who says you can't take work off for your birthday. Oh, well, gosh. Um, he can. He just shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you the feedback. Um, it's a way of avoiding the stupid work shout, says someone. John says, Liam is depriving a village somewhere of a perfectly good idiot. Um, wonderful uh, feedback. Thanks for that. We might even return to that, uh, should or not uh, you take your birthday off work. But finally, many organisations around New Zealand rely on the generosity of volunteers to operate, and that includes our toy libraries, which hold treasured memories for many. But sadly, they're getting harder to find. There were 200 around the country a decade ago. That number is now 165. The Toy Library Foundation say a lack of volunteers. That's the number one issue. With us is Barbara William, the co-president of Toy Library Foundation of New Zealand. Barbara, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you? Very well. Are toy libraries still popular with parents and kids? Yeah, absolutely. So we have over 11,000 members nationally, um, which is supporting well over 18,000 kids. Um, kids love our toy libraries. It's like going to a toy shop and the parents can afford to take home any toy that the kid wants. Yes, um, like Christmas, isn't Mike, it? Yeah, like Christmas. Yeah, I asked my kids, hey, what do you love about the toy library? And they said it's really cool because it has lots of toys, lots of games, and there's lots to choose from. Um, so kids love toy libraries, and our parents, our parent members, they love our toy libraries too for lots of different reasons. Some and because that makes toys affordable, and some yes. because, it, you know, they support sustainability, they want to be connected with their community. Um, or they just don't want to own the toys because, yeah. you know, toys clog up houses. Well, so, Barbara, let's go to yeah. our panel. They'll have thoughts or comments. Uh, Zoe. 
Oh, I love the toy library and the yeah. idea of toy libraries. It's just so wonderful. Uh, I don't have children myself because I don't want any, uh, but uh, my nieces and nephews love the toy library. Uh, I was going to ask, though, what is the biggest barrier for volunteering, though, Barbara, and trying to find volunteers for the toy library? So I think, um, well, um, Stats NZ said the biggest barrier was um, time. Um, but I think if you asked any of our parents with them, um, or the majority of our volunteers are parents with young children, and uh, they would say that they also are time poor. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's a complex issue as to why people are struggling to step up. Um, you know, and we, we don't we don't get have a lack of short-term volunteers, you know, like those one-off events. Our issue is not getting enough long-term volunteers. You know, those people who want to step up and be committed for a good chunk of time. Liam. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I really, I, toy libraries are great. And, uh, you know, we belong to the one in, in Rongatea where I live. And the, we have we have um, four ungrateful children. And like all children, you know, they'll get a toy and they'll be sick of it after yes. a couple of weeks, you mm-hmm. know. And so, you know, this is, this is what the best thing about it is, you know. It, we're sort of um, you're catering to their short attention spans without breaking the bank and accumulating a house full of, you know, plastic garbage. Um, and so mm-hmm. it's just fantastic. And, you know, it, you know, people need to make the time for it because, you know, otherwise, you know, we're just going to get more and more uh, filled up with junk toys in this country when actually those toys can be put to a really good use and they can make someone's uh, life really, really happy for a, for a couple of weeks anyway. So how can people get involved, Barbara? If because Liam makes great points, hey, your kids do get sick very quickly. So why not uh, uh, support the local toy library? What can people do out there listening if they do have time on their hands? So I think um, I can only suggest that they go and contact their own local toy library Um and ask them what they can do to help. Um, you can find your local toy library on our website, which is toylibrary.co.nz. Um, but the Federation is also run by volunteers. So if you've got um, a specific skill that you think could increase um, you know, the awareness of toy libraries or benefit toy libraries um, across the nation, then you can contact um, the Toy Library Federation of New Zealand's National Administrator at office at toylibrary.co.nz. Lovely to have you on, Barbara. Thank you very much for that. That's Barbara Willeman, co-president of the Toy Library Foundation. Um, An alert, there's a new new thing coming out. Uh, Forget about uh, no butter on toast. They don't have butter in the US on their sandwich. Um, James says, have you heard about the naked toast movement? Start (laughs) spreading marmalade (laughs) straight. It's the new thing, Liam. Huh? Zoe, no. Oh, sorry, I was going to. I was going to say, Liam, can I have my birthday off if I volunteer for the toy library? <laughs> well, on that day, All yes, right. I suppose. That's Good like, on you, know, you both. You've been fantastic, Liam. Here, Zoe, George, I'm Wallace Chapman, Lisa, Owen, and Checkpoint. Next, back tomorrow, three forty-five. See you then.